extend a welcome to you this morning. It's good to be worshiping together in Lord's house. We had some visitors at our home just recently, and uh, they very kindly left us a hostess gift. And uh, as I was enjoying that hostess gift, partaking of it, I uh, began to read the fine print. You get in trouble when you do that sometimes. Actually, a quote, you want an education, read the fine print. If you want an experience, don't read it. Well, anyway, I was reading the fine print, sitting there snacking, and uh, something caught my eye. It was really, really small, really small. In fact, I asked my wife if she could see it. She could, but uh, it was really small. And this is what it said. It said, take time for family and prayer. Always give praise. That little quote challenged me. Actually, my turn to preach got canceled the last time. I was back in December, and I was thinking along the lines of praise. Actually, I was looking at the Handel's Messiah, and I was challenged by how much Scripture is actually in that in that uh, that uh, masterpiece, I guess you'd call it that. And uh, I was going to use some of the Scripture, a lot of the Scripture, wouldn't have had time to do all of it. But some of, some of the background in my thoughts, and then I was sitting there thinking about what to share here today. And uh, that idea of praise came, uh, stood out to me, give praise. We, we sang this morning from Zion's Praises. And then we said, praising the Lord all day long, blessed assurance. This morning I've entitled my meditation, Stones of Inspiration. Stones of Inspiration. Have you been inspired by stones lately? Uh, I don't know what your attitude is towards stones. But uh, I was impressed as I, as I thought about the idea of praise. If you want to turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of Luke, chapter 19. We have an experience there with Jesus where he talked about uh, a praise experience involving him. Luke, chapter 19, I'd like to begin at verse 37. This is the first stone that I want to talk about this morning. And I've entitled it, Talking Stones. Have you ever heard of a talking stone before? Luke chapter 19, verse 37. And he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and, rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. I'll stop reading there. Stones that talk. How is our praising and witnessing of God's mighty works? in my personal life, in your Christian life. How is that? Is it a little bit like that container of snacks that I was snacking at? It's pretty small, written in fine prints. Or is it a little bit more like our experience here in the, uh, the multitude as they observed what was taking place around them, the, the miracles and the mighty works that Jesus was doing? Uh, 
you know, that it, 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 it says they, uh, they, with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. That's a challenge to me, that we exclude, exclude the uh, praises of God in our, through our lives. You know, now if Jesus would have said, as he walked along there and said, well, if these disciples of mine don't praise me, at least my creation does. The birds, we often think of the birds praising God. We say they sing the praises of God. And uh, I, I pulled up uh, a robin singing its spring song. And, you know, there's, there's nothing more welcome, at least at this time of the year, and you hear a robin singing its spring song, establishing its territory. And uh, I was tempted to play that over the mic here. Uh, but, uh, you know, and I believe they are praising God, and, and they're doing what God has created them to do. But the stones, can stones glorify God? Well, I believe these stones could have. If these, this multitude had kept silent, I believe these stones could have. Because God, Jesus at another time said that he could raise up children from the stones. Uh, they said they were children of Abraham. Let me get this straight. They said, we be the children of Abraham, and... That was Jesus that said that, so that he could raise up children from these stones to be followers of, uh, or the children of Abraham. So I believe these stones could have had the ability to praise God in a vocal way if God or Christ would have deemed that necessary. You stop and think about it this morning, how much more complex you and I are than stones. Um, think about that. You know, stones don't move on their own, do they? I haven't seen any that ever moved on their own. We uh, we usually have to pick them out of our field. We don't we don't scare them out. We don't herd them out. We got to go there and we got to bend our backs and get our hands and pick them out of our fields. Unless you got different kind of stones than what we do in our farm. But you know they don't have any senses. You know, we don't take care when we throw them in the basket on the four-wheeler, in the buckets or the trailer or whatever. We just throw them. We don't worry about them getting hurt. They don't have any feelings. Uh, they can't see. We can talk to them sometimes, and maybe we do, and maybe we shouldn't. They don't hear, especially if they bust a sickle on the knife or something like that. You know, but they're pretty senseless. They can't taste. You think of the potential that we have to praise God. And, and the, the bottom line is, the key, I think, is the influence you and I can have in, in praising God and impacting other people's life. Rejoice, verse 37, Rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had seen. The question I ask myself in relation to through these speaking or these uh, talking stones is, do I see the mighty works of God in my life today, in the lives of us as families, in the, life, in the lives of us as a congregation? Do I see the mighty works that God is, is doing among us? Do I recognize them as God working in our lives? And will I praise him for that? How small is the print in your life on the container of your life as far as concerning God's praise? thought of another stone. Turn back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. I'm going to call this one, it's a familiar account, I'm going to call this one the pillow stone. I'd like to read this account here in Genesis chapter 28 involving 
Jacob. Genesis chapter 28, I want to read verse 11, then I'll drop down and read verses 16 through 22. Jacob here was on the run. He was uh, leaving his home, verse 11, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set and he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. Dropping down to verse 16. And Jacob awake out of the sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon it, upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Ever use a stone for a pillow? I have never, that I can remember, recollect that I've ever used a stone for a pillow. Uh, well, uh, I'm not sure what prompted Jacob to do that. And I don't know, I'd like to think he cushioned it perhaps with some type of a garment. But uh, it may be worth a try. Jacob had a, an experience that was very, very memorable. Uh, my Bible heading here calls it a vision. It mentions it in the verses there as calling it, he, he dreamed. Uh, well, maybe it was the hardness of the, the pillow that gave him the dream. I don't know. I, I think it was more than that. I think God wanted to talk to him. God had a message for Jacob. Um, I like to think of this pillow stone as, uh, in relation to our experiences, our commitment and the need to communicate with God. Um, you know, I don't know what thoughts were going through Jacob's mind as he headed away from home. Uh, you know, it was not the most desirable experience. Uh, he was fleeing because of some of his connivings that he had uh, accomplished in his family. And uh, so it was not always, it was not in the best of uh, experiences that he was leaving. And, uh, but you know, I was challenged as I thought about Jacob laying down to rest that night. You know, God knew Jacob's thoughts. And as you and I lay our heads on our pillows tonight, whether they be fluffy pillows, two pillows, I don't know how many pillows some people sleep with. I did a little reading on pillows and some people said that back in the, the early times that a person's wealth was established by how many pillows he had. <laughs> uh, I'm satisfied with one, and it can be pretty flat. But, uh, you know, I don't know. The, the thought that challenged me is that God knows our thoughts. God knew Jacob's thoughts as he rested his head on that rock that night. And uh, another thing that stood out to me was the time of the day. It was sunset. Jacob knew it was time to hang it up. It was time to call it quits. Uh, he didn't burn any midnight oil, evidently, and uh, for the best of interest, he was probably tired out. I was going to look and see what the actual distance was that he had walked there from uh, his home to where he uh, retired for the night. Uh, one of the commentators said it was a pretty good, pretty good day's journey, but I don't know what the actual distance was. But uh, So physically, he was probably exhausted and uh, needed a time of refreshing. 
God had a plan for Jacob. And you know, it was at that, it was at the close of the day when Jacob was exhausted and his mind was uh, at rest that God could come and, uh, I believe, communicate to him. God had a plan for Jacob. God has a plan for each one of us this morning for our lives. And uh, do I understand what God's plan is for my life? And I'm not saying that we, God will always reveal his plan to us through dreams or visions. As a matter of fact, I'd say probably less likely that he will. But uh, God does reveal his plan to us through his word. And, uh, you know, when we're not distracted, and I guess that's the point I want to drive home here this morning. Jacob was not distracted, I believe, at this time. He was, he was resting, and uh, God chose to communicate to him in that period of time. And, uh, you know, in our culture, in our world today, there are so many distractions that, that uh, you know, it's hard sometimes, that, I believe, for God to get our attention. And he wants to talk to us. God wants to talk to us. We need to talk to him. We need to have an understanding of what his, uh, what his plan is for our lives. If you notice uh, verse 20, Jacob here, when he got up in the morning, and I guess that always challenges me, he says he woke up early in the morning. Uh, I don't think the sun was up yet. At least I like to think the sun wasn't up yet. And uh, he, made a, he made a vow there. He, he realized that what was taking place was something unique. And uh, he was ready to... to uh, to establish a, a relationship with God. And Jacob, verse 20, vowed he vowed, saying, If God be with me and will keep me in the way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on. You know, he doesn't really ask for a lot. He just says, really, the basics. You give me bread to eat and raiment to put on. You know, that's, that's basically what the lilies of the field have. And he said, you just give me that. And then he goes on, he says in verse 21, so that I can come again to my father's house in peace. Now, there's, there's something that's maybe a little more touchy, that I can come again to my father's house in peace. And God is the God of peace. God can restore relationships. Then shall the Lord be my God. He made that vow. And he stood that pillow up, and he, he, poured, uh, he poured oil on that stone, and he made a, an altar, as it were, for, to God, to, to cement that vow with him, that God, you're going to be my God. We're in this together. We, we need pillow stones in our walk with the Lord where we God can communicate to us and we can communicate with Him. God wants us in His house. God wants us in His building. God wants us in His kingdom. But He also wants our resources to be used as a blessing for others. And that's, I believe, what Jacob was desiring in that pursuit of peace. He wanted that relationship restored in his family. So children, try a rock sometime. Maybe check with your mom and dad's first for a pillow. Third rock that I want to remind you of or draw your attention to is in the book of Joshua. This is called the witness stone or the reminder stone. Joshua, the challenging leader that he was for the children of Israel, uh, had a very articulated way to, to challenge them. And uh, this was after the primarily the, the, the conquest was accomplished in the land of Canaan. And uh, there was a sense of peace and complacency in their experience. The conquest had primarily been won to the greatest degree that it was won. And in Joshua 24, 
he challenges the people in verses 26 and uh, 27. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set, up there, and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us. For it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he has which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. Now I wonder if anybody caught what Joshua said there. What did he say about that stone? It contradicted something I just said previously. Okay. He's, Joshua said, this stone heard. I just said stones don't hear. Well, this one heard. I believe Joshua. I believe Joshua was probably using an expression to drive home his point. That this is a witness stone. This is a stone that is going to be a reminder to you of your commitment to the Lord. Well, I was challenged as I, I looked at the people's answer. If we back up there. You know, it starts actually, the whole conversation here starts in, back in verse 14. When Joshua says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then you're up down to verse 18. They say, We will also serve the Lord, for He is our God. Down to verse 21. But we will also, pardon me, but we will serve the Lord. And then verse 24. The Lord our God will we serve, and His, vo His voice will we obey. That was their answer. Well, what happens? What takes place in our life, in our walk with the Lord from day one? You know, we, we know the joy of committing our hearts to the Lord. And we just had Alyssa's name announced this morning. And, you know, we, we're, we rejoice in the fact that, that young people are making their commitments to serve the Lord. But what happens? Uh, you know, we can probably start thinking over names of, of people that have, have left that first love. Well, this is what happens. Days turn into weeks. Weeks turn into months. Months turn into years. And years turn into a lifetime. You got that? That's exactly what happens. And you know what? All too soon, a life is marked by another stone. It's nothing but a memorial stone. And we become a statistic. Our life is gone. Our life has been lived. Life is short. But, you know, let's do better. Let's do better than simply become a statistic. <clears throat> you know, if we're not careful, we lose our focus. We forget our commitment to the Lord. That's what, jo that's what Joshua was challenging the people to. He said, this stone is set up as a memorial, as a reminder of your commitment. My NIV study Bible, and I didn't check this out, so I'm just taking it for their, their word, and I assume they're right. They said this was actually the, the seventh reminder uh, to the children of Israel uh, as they hadn't moved into the promised land. This was the seventh reminder. You think of the number seven as being the number of completion, the number of perfection. And uh, they said this was the final 
final seventh marker or reminder that was established in as they moved into the promised land, in the land of Canaan, through the conquest that, that transpired. And this was the final reminder that, okay, here's where your, your commitment lies with the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust that, that our lives can be more than just a memorial stone, but that we can let, let a legacy, something that will, can be passed on to the rising and succeeding generations after us, that here are things of value, here are things of worth that are important. Maybe not on how good a farmer we were, or how good a carpenter we were, or how good of a whatever, but that we stood for the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ. And... We have a desire to serve him and, and, and love him. And it's because of that witness rock. And uh, so you can set up a witness rock if you like. And uh, you can make it fictitious if you want. But I think it's important that we remember our vows. We remember our commitment. And that's what Joshua is challenging us to. Well, there's another stone up. Some more stones I'd like to remind you of. So turn to First Samuel chapter 17. Most of these experiences or stories are, are familiar stories, but I was impressed the way the stones played an important role in them. First um, Samuel 17, verse, uh, begin reading at, uh, I want to read verse 40, and then I'll drop down to verse 45 and read through verse 50. First Samuel 17, this is David and Goliath's ex- uh, experience. You know, what would the story of David and Goliath be without the stones? First uh, Samuel 17, verse 40. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even a script, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine, that big awful giant, Goliath. Dropping down to verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands." And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, and he took thence a stone. And he slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David." I like to think of this stone of David here as a stone of faith. You know, if you look back, we were talking about faith this morning, and one thing that I'm thinking about is what Dennis said. I still have to think about that. He said difficulties. I don't know if I can say exactly how he said it, but it got me thinking. Uh, maybe that's some of our trouble. We don't have enough difficulties, or else we find a way around our difficulties. I don't know. Some to the idea the difficulties are what will, will develop our faith or increase our faith. And, uh, you know, I don't know what a difficulty is. I mean, I know what a difficulty is. (laughs) 
but uh, maybe a true difficulty where we there, there's absolutely nowhere else to turn but God. Well, that's getting off my subject here this morning. But stones of faith. Um, here in uh, in uh, David's experience in verse 29, he made this comment. And David, David, as he came down to the uh, to the army of Israel here, uh, he made this comment. Verse 29, David said, "What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause?" And that that phrase challenged me. Do I realize that there is a cause today? There is a purpose. There's a meaning. There's a conflict. Is there not a cause? And uh, it's interesting, if you back up to verse 28, David had just been actually uh, reprimanded, misunderstood by his elder brother Elab. Elab, his elder brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and his anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And so there was David, you know... Talk about a, a real slam to your faith, you know. But David didn't, you know, he, he responded in verse 29. He said, there's, there's something deeper than this, and there's a cause. And so he was willing to allow God to use him, and the, the, stone that, the stones that he picked out of the brook there uh, to bolster the faith of the children of Israel. David's faith was greater than the conflict with his older brother. David's faith was greater than the conflict with the bear and the lion. And uh, David's faith was greater than facing Goliath. His faith was bigger than that. Um, the battle is the Lord's. He understood that. He said that. He told, he told Goliath that. He said, hey, the battle's the Lord's. It's not between you and me. This battle is between you and God. And it's because of who I'm representing. I don't see any... Any pride, you know, his brother accused him of pride and naughtiness in his heart. You know, as I, as I read through that, I, I just, I'm amazed at David's uh, faith and courage. And even in spite of the, uh, the uh, misunderstanding of his older brother, yet he was willing to be, place himself in a position that God could use him. How does my faith, how does my faith, how does your faith, this morning, factor into the battle of the Lord's. Think about that. It factors pretty much. It really does. How about the stones that David got out of the brook? Uh, you know, was there another way that God could have slew Goliath? I think there was. I think there was. I think God could have smote him dead with a heart attack just like that. But God wanted to use that small stripling David and uh, that little stone out of the brook. And how fast do you think that stone went? I don't know. Used to sling. Bas baseball pitchers can can throw baseballs 100 mile an hour plus. And uh, one commentator suggested that uh, probably these stones were perhaps baseball size. I always imagined them smaller. I thought they were more lethal the smaller they were. But what? I don't know. Well, we're not told, so let's not speculate on that. It was big enough to kill, kill Goliath. And uh, I don't know if the angels were putting some speed behind that or not as it went. But still, David had to put it in his sling, and he slung it. And, uh, you know, I was impressed. There was no, I don't detect any self-confidence in David. 
he clearly is giving all the credit and the glory to God in that conquest. Coming back to that question again, I guess I, as, as we discussed it in Sunday school classes, how can I increase my faith? I think it's simply in, in obedience to what we knew to do. David said there's a cause. And he was willing to step up to the plate and be used. There's trust. Uh, read and hear God's word. That will increase our faith. Read it, hear it. I like to think of this thought. I'd like you to think of this thought too. You know, we maybe cannot pick our battles as we go through life. We'll face conflicts in our Christian wall. We maybe can't pick what battles we're going to face. Okay? I don't know what battles you're going to face. I don't know what battles I'll face. I just got done saying, <laughs> I don't know what difficulty is, but you know, uh, what battles will you and I face? But you know, there is something that we can choose. There is something that we have a, a, a part in. We can choose, we can always, always choose the right, the right way. Regardless of what the battle is, what the conflict is, we can choose that which is right. God has given us that choice. May God help us to know the wisdom to choose what is right. David here in our story did. He chose, he chose the right way and God blessed him in doing that. Another stone. Turn to... Uh, the book of John in the New Testament, Gospel of John, John 8, verses uh, 4 through 11. I wasn't sure what to call these stones. Maybe you'll help me on this one. I'll, I'll, share, I'll share with you John 8, verses 4 through 11. Again, a familiar account with us. Um, I thought of them as honesty stones. I thought of them as, I thought of them as judgment stones. Uh, I thought of them as perhaps forgotten stones. And uh, reading here in John 8, verses uh, uh, 4, breaking it at verse 4. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery and in, and in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have an excuse, might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even at the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So I don't know what you would call these stones. Honesty stones. As Jesus had invited these people, these accusers, to uh, start casting stones. Uh, and they honestly looked at their own lives after Jesus addressed them. He said, okay, the rest of, if he that is without sin among you be the first to cast a stone. Uh, they brought her in judgment. But as Jesus challenged them, they forgot the stones that Jesus had invited them to throw. You know, I don't know if you've thought about stoning as a capital punishment. You know, uh, I was thinking about this aspect here just a little bit looks in the Old Testament we can go back to the uh, to the law in Deuteronomy chapter 17 verses 5 and 7 where it's actually uh, 
uh, Moses there, God through Moses uh, initiated that. And we know another real outstanding uh, uh, account of that in the book of Joshua soon after that. The account with Achan where where, uh, the stoning was accomplished, not only just him but his family and his possessions there. Um, you know, stoning seems so brutal. Why, why would God choose stoning as a method of, of capital punishment? Now, I'm not sure I can answer the question of that. First of all, I don't think it's in our place to do that today. We're, div- we're living in a different dispensation. God uh, commanded it, and it was carried out. And it was very, it was very, fe- very effective, I believe. Uh, did some reading on it. Some of it's speculative, so I, I, I'm somewhat reluctant to share what I what I read on it. Um, one of the thoughts that I thought was interesting, and, and some of that is accomplished through a firing squad too. When there's when a firing squad is a capital punishment, you know there's multiple weapons used, and no one is sure which weapon actually does the the uh, meeting out of the. Uh, of the punishment, and the same was true of stoning. No one actually knew for sure which one ended the life. I don't know. It made some semblance or some sense to me, but maybe we don't need to fully understand it. At least I don't have to fully understand it. God, in His wisdom, you know, established that as His way of bringing judgment. But we're living in the day of grace today, and I don't think we ought to be casting stones of judgment on other people. So I thought about these stones. I, I, there's some things I think we need to look at. First of all, as we see people in their sin, I think these stones should fill our lives with compassion. Um, these stones, I believe, should remind us to listen to the voice of God. You know, that's really what happened here. They heard God, they heard Christ speaking, and it, it brought them, it brought their attention off of that woman to their own lives. And I think that's what needs to happen to us today as well. These stones, this stone experience needs to help us to look within our own lives. Um, so listen to the voice of the Lord. These stones should remind us uh, to look at our own lives honestly. And actually, these stones today are better left forgotten and left lying where they, where they are. Jesus invited these, these women at this, or not, pardon me, these accusers to begin stoning this woman they were actually under the old, old law yet at this point yet so it would have been legal at this point I believe but uh, there was some witnessing and evidently the witnesses were there in the Old Testament if you look in the Deuteronomy it mentions the idea of, of, of witnesses being the first to cast the stone well the last stone that I want to uh, look at here is Matthew chapter uh, 27 You may already guess what this stone is. Matthew chapter 27. I'd like to uh, begin reading at uh, verse 57 and read through chapter 28, verse 8. Matthew 27, verse 57. When the eve was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be, de- to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in a rock. 
and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Now the next day that followed, the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said while he was yet alive, that after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto him, Ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as ye can. You know, I don't know, I just got a bit of, uh, as you read that, what Pilate's comment was there, that there's maybe, a, maybe there's a glimmer of truth in, or hope for Pilate. Uh, he says, make it as sure as you can, almost like, uh, I don't know, I just kind of detect somebody, somewhat of a sinister uh, attitude toward them. Well, verse 66, so they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel said, and the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not, ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, Come and see the place where they lay him. I want to turn back to 1 Peter chapter 2 as well. I've entitled this last stone, Lively Stones. Now, if you remember, I told you stones don't move on their own. Well, the stone that sealed up the tomb of our Lord didn't move on its own either, but it was moved. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 10. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envyings and all evil speakings as newborn babes, Desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious to him to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is con contained in the scriptures, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, Precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builder disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. How great was that stone? Did Joseph of Arimathea roll that stone himself? I rather doubt it. I don't know how many men it took. I looked at some of the Bible archaeology findings, uh, and, and they're suggesting, this is just a suggestion, uh, that uh, the stone was maybe not even uh, round. Perhaps. Now, it does mention they rolled it, but uh, you can roll square things if you have to, because <laughs> it's not, not the way of the wheel, but that you can roll some square things. And they said actually a lot of the, uh, the Second Temple era tombs actually had more square stones, more like a cork style stone. It had a smaller conical sphere 
part on it, and that went into the entrance of the cave, and then the big block square sealed it up. That's what archaeologists have found from that, that era, perhaps. You know, we get this mental picture from the Bible story books of this big, round stone, and you know, I certainly don't want to diminish it. Regardless how big and round it was or whether it was square, I don't think it could have been probably moved just by one person. Uh, but we are told here in the Scripture that there was an earthquake, and the angel um, came down and, and took that stone away. And uh, as, I, as I think about that in relation to becoming lively stones, you know, that stone did not move itself. Neither can you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, live the Christian life in our own strength. We need the power of God within us. And if you look there at those verses in, 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 uh, that I read there in First Peter, you know, it's, it's precious what can happen to the life of the person that is committed to serving him. We become lively stones, is the expression that he uses, that Peter used. And uh, we put our faith in, in him who has become the, the cornerstone. And uh, our lives can then be built for his glory and for his honor in his kingdom. So I hope these stones have inspired you and will continue to inspire you as you, you serve the Lord. And uh, give stones a second chance. Think about them a little more. They do have purpose and meaning. May God help us.